You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Episode 7 of Archeo Animal. I'm your host, Alex Fitzpatrick, and with me as always, Simona Falanga, still here. Yeah, and also hiding, lurking, every so often popping in when we don't want him to, is uh, producer Tristan. Today's episode, we are talking about something near and dear to both of our hearts, I'd like to say. Um, we're talking about cats. <laughs> So, any opening remarks about cats you'd like to state for the good people out there? I guess we could start with making a little disclaimer that's not necessarily cat-related. Oh, yeah. We talked about that before we even started recording, and I already forgot. Yes. Uh, So, as our listeners may have realised, I think, in one of our last episodes, I think it was episode five, you may have heard mention of a Steph or even better, a Canadian Steph. Now, um, Alex and I were in fact referring to Steph Halmofa, and I think I've just butchered her surname. Uh, Steph is a bioarchaeologist and fellow psychomer of ours, and she writes about archaeology and debunks pseudoscience over at her blog, which is uh, bonesstonesandbooks.com. And evidently, she's also known for being the only person in Canada called Steph. So, <laughs> shout out to Steph. And like, yeah, so- sorry about that. <laughs> and thanks for um, calling me out uh, on Twitter about that. Um, yeah, sorry about that. Anyway, cats. Let's talk about cats. Simona, you have a cat with you right now. Oh, yeah, she- she's right here. She's chilling. Oh. Contemplating the meaning of life. Aren't we all? As she does. Uh, but yeah, no. So cat bones, I think both of us have uh, a lot to say about cats. Um, speaking as someone who's dealing with loads of cat bones in their uh, assemblage right now, uh, I think I know too much about cats at this point. Great. I- I'm, j- I'm just going to go then. <laughs> no, please don't. I need you. I'm the one who like makes sarcastic m- remarks and then you have all of the knowledge. <laughs> That's how it works. (laughs) You know, cat bones, before I actually started working um, on my PhD work, I had never really run into cats uh, in archaeological sites. Usually it's the domesticates, you know, sheep, stuff like that. So um, cats, Simona, how rare are cats really in the average, at least British, archaeological assemblage? I think in about four years' experience, I think I found a tooth, and that's about it. Okay, so it's not necessarily that common. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's actually, uh, I think, topic of a debate, because um, I think it's been argued, like, do, do we not find cats because there were just not many of them? Or is it because uh, something related to their biology, maybe they go somewhere else to die, so they're not going to be found in the settlement? Is it due to the way they were seen by past populations, so they wouldn't necessarily feature in either rubbish pits or associated with human burials or anything of sort. That's the the, the beauty of cats. It just, nobody knows. Or someone someone more clever than me probably knows. (laughs) 
I think cats kind of run into that same issue that dogs have, where it's that in-between of, do we consider them wild animals, domestic animals? There's a point where they kind of cross over into domestic animals. You know, the cats that I'm dealing with right now, um, so if you don't, if you're not familiar, um, I'm working in a bunch of Scottish caves uh, that are like later prehistoric in date and there's loads of cats in these and one of the big questions is well are these just wild random cats that are just living in these caves or were they being used uh or domesticated by other people things like that like it's a whole big thing i mean what what context are they recovered in see i mean we're still figuring that out right now that's kind of the process we're doing right now but it's it's just really strange there's like what was it yesterday? I think I found just like a whole cat, which was odd. <laughs> it's just that I'm not sure. I've not read uh, very, very much, weird. very much literature on cave dwelling cats, so it seems like almost like perp deliberate deposition where they are found. But then I'm not familiar with the site, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, the other thing that's making them really, uh, it's really complicating things is the fact that we're finding, and by we, I mean me, because I'm the only person whose head is in all these bags. Um, <laughs> we're finding a cat gnawing on a bunch of bones. So it's active cats, do you know what I mean? Right. Well, I guess we, we can ask Bastet. A bit yeah, more what, about I, I need. I would love to do some ethno uh, archaeology, get some uh, perspective. Really, yeah. No, I think she, she'll want payment beforehand before she reveals any secrets. So in the meantime, she'll just have a snooze, but she'll think about it. Okay. Well, you know, let her get back to me. I, I still have like a year or two to get uh, information about this. <laughs> and, and, and just in case uh, someone is still like unaware bastard is actually my Siamese cat and is bastard with T-E-T like the Egyptian goddess and not like the swear word. <laughs> it's always important to make that uh, which, distinction. Which I do get a lot from people. They're like, why would you call your cat that? Be like, I, I haven't. <laughs> it's bastard. Uh, never mind. Moving away from my weird, weird site, um, just kind of in general, you know, um, how do we identify cat bones? What makes it different than some of the other average animal bones we find, things like that? I mean, I don't know about you, but I think the number one thing is, again, their mandibles. If I see those teeth, I know exactly what I'm looking at. Yeah, I think the skull is probably the most distinctive of all parts. I mean, one that I find, but again, it's not necessarily indicative of cat as is of just carnivora is um oh actually hmm, no thinking about because you know the humerus that is still end of the humerus um sort of in the carnivora that tends to be a hole that goes all the way through in the distal end so for the uninitiated Mm. that's the bottom bit that articulates with the ulna and radius so there tends to be a hole that goes all the way through and that's certainly true for dogs Uh, there is a foreign of sorting cats but and now i'm just realizing that it's slightly to the side in, in <laughs> I, I will take photos and put them in the show notes i've got i've got some bones out with me so i can actually have a, a bit of an idea what i'm talking about yeah this is one of those times where it's kind of unfortunate that this is a audio medium and we're talking about bones and i guess the one thing again another thing again mostly a carnivore thing not necessarily cats as again in the distal humerus sort of the articulation like the distal end is more squashed Mm -hmm. 
if that makes any sense at all. That's being my, my professional terminology right there. I think it'll make more sense once we have the show notes up and uh, listeners who are listening to this episode, you can always refer to the show notes. You know we're good for that, at least. <laughs> but yeah, the one thing, yeah, cat bones, really, any cranial bones, you can't miss them. The skulls are sort of very easily distinguishable just because they've got this gigantic orbit. Mm. That sort of really sets them aside from other animals. And again, the, the teeth are sort of very distinctive because they have, of course, a dentition that's very apt at chewing, what, well, eating meat, but it's a strictly sort of, because cats are obligate carnivores, so they need to have a very high percentage. I forget that whether that's 75 or, or 90% meat content because they're hypercarnivores. Mm. Uh, so of course their dentition will be more specialized towards that than say a dog you will have like if you look at dog teeth, uh, their molars like they will well they got their carnassials, but then the second and sometimes third molar, they're more prone to actually you know chewing uh, mm-hmm. all sorts of food. While cat teeth are sort of very specifically for tearing and shearing meat. Yeah. So they just got like a, a beautiful collection of blades. True. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, it, I'm a very simple person, so it's, I usually just look for those teeth and I'll immediately be able to pick them out. This is going to sound so weird, but like all of cat bones are really cute. <laughs> they're just so like, sm- not small all the time. They're, they're pretty like small in comparison to like, let's say a cow. They're just like nice and curved and like everything's like, this sounds so weird, doesn't it? <laughs> I find that with rabbit bones as well, though. Mm, true yeah i see that as well like i'm <laughs> full disclosure uh later uh in a few weeks i'm getting uh, an- another tattoo of a uh, cat mandible uh and i'm very excited because oh. it's just I, I just love cat bones so much they're so nice uh i'm annoyed by cat bones because there's too many in my assemblage and it makes me confused but you know i try my best S- sorry for a moment i thought you were gonna say that you're getting a rabbit i got excited and i was like oh well, I mean, no, cool. I mean, cool tattoo, bones. but oh. I'm, <laughs> I'm just getting dead animals tattooed on my body. It's fine. Wait a minute. How how many tattoos do, of animal dead animals do you have Not already? Enough. You make it sound like you're just adding. I only have um, I only have one bone tattooed on me. Uh, the rest of my tattoos are all like flowers and herbs and stuff. But I'm, my goal is to get more bones tattooed on my arm. So long as you don't get a humorous with like, and I found this humorous line because that's just no. Oh no, I'm not a loser. No more. No more. No more. Oh, <laughs> I mean, come on. We're not. We're barely ten minutes in, you? and we've got that joke here. Oh. So this on. is the last episode of Archeo Animals. I hope you all enjoyed this podcast. This very short podcast. I'm going to go and beat up Simona. <laughs> Why? You you're saying that like cat bones are always very very dainty. Um, is there any animals that you can mistake cats for? I mean, because you can get big cats, yeah. right? And I don't, I don't, I'm not meaning tigers and, you know, leopards and stuff. And you can get like small cats. Are there any kind of uh, similarities between cat bones and other ones that you could easily mistake them for? Rabbits and, and hares, at least for me. Some of the long bones, I can get them mixed up. I guess you could potentially mix it up with dog if it's a small dog. Yeah, I get that too. That's because I'm also working with small dogs. Because uh, I just can't get a moment's peace with my PhD work. Yeah, I think that's kind of it. They're all those are all kind of in the same size range. 
especially when you get fragmented long bones, it can be really easy to mix them up. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, because I guess they're under similar-ish size, but not quite. They'll be badgers, but badger bones tend to be much stockier. So that's usually a dead giveaway. Yeah, <laughs> dead giveaway. Is there anything in particular about older cat bones, maybe ones that are not as domesticated, uh, compared to the bones of modern cats? How how would you be able to tell the difference, if at all? Uh, larger. That's what I've been noticing so far from looking at other reference collections. Um, usually a lot bigger, like freakishly big at times. It's really weird. Because yeah, I think the difference can be made with certain elements. So there's a study that Terry O'Connor has carried out. And I used to have the proper reference for this, but then my laptop decided to join Morpheus in an endless dream. So I haven't got any of those anymore. But I think, <laughs> um, so through bi- biometry, you would be able to get that differentiated. But I think also the main issue is hybridization, which of course like messes everything up. And the great variability that you get, especially in later periods of different, not necessarily cat breeds, but just you have variation between individuals. So I think maybe like one thing, I don't know whether I'm just, yeah, talking nonsense, but one thing that might make it so to differentiate between wild and domestic, that domestic animals in general tend to retain more juvenile traits compared to their wild counterparts. Yeah. Ish. I'm, I'm, yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of times it gets very dicey when it comes to differentiating, at least with more morphologically with animals i don't know i'm not a scientist it's just that it's like dogs of course like cat breeds developed much much later compared to dogs but you so you do you have yes. this great sort of individual variation because it's this whole thing of uh you know much like in dogs a, a, a beautiful healthy wild cat you know gets close to humans what could possibly go wrong then you wake up one morning and you're a persian oh yeah i hate i hate when that happens (laughs) specifically we're talking about persians like the cat breed well yes yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i want to put this claim out there uh yeah uh (laughs) but yeah no um it is weird and different and i mean yeah i feel like dogs are a really good way to kind of compare the two Especially because we just did an episode about dogs, which feels like we did it like three years ago, but I'm sure it wasn't that long ago. I was going to make a pun, but I shall refrain. But I guess like it's com- they're comparable to dogs, but they're not at the same time. Because I think perception, the perception of cats throughout history has not been quite the same as in dogs. Because dogs have always like, uh, well, they've been bred for a purpose throughout the centuries until we decided we're going to breed on looks, no matter the consequences. But they were always seen as cherished companions, at least by some. And you do get records like, you know, going quite a bit further back with dogs being viewed as companion animals, regardless of, you know, whether they were working or not. But with cats, it's a much more difficult relationship because you you never know, like, are they, were they really truly domesticates or were they more commensals provide that's how you pronounce it because they just happen to be around there because you have a barn that's full of mice and rats and cats just got 
closer and sort of got rid of the cat or the rats, not necessarily because they wanted anything to do with you. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, how about we take a quick break and then we will get back into all the stuff that we don't really know very well, but we'll just pretend we do. Great. <laughs> Hey everybody, Chris Webster here and just popping in to say the Archaeology Podcast Network is in dire need of your support. We can use support in one of three ways, really. Head on over to arcpodnet.com forward slash members and join us at $5, $10, or $20 a year. We have 30% off annual discounts and you get a whole bunch of extra things, including early episodes, uh, bonus learning content, bonus episode content, a private Slack team to speak to everybody, including the hosts and other members, and a whole bunch of other little things. Also, also, we're actively taking donations. Thanks to all of you that donated over the holiday season. And finally, if you work for a company or you know of a company that would help underwrite the Archaeology Podcast Network for 2019, we've got amazing deals for underwriting and support of the network. So head on over to arcpodnet.com forward slash members or arcpodnet.com forward slash ads. Now back to the show. We're back. So let's talk more about some really complex uh, issues with cats. <laughs> the hot discourse in cat bones here on Archaeo Animals, of course. Why did cats even choose humans? Because like dogs, dogs, we kind of choose dogs. I think it's roughly the kind of feeling around that kind of part of evolution. But cats seem to choose us. Why did cats choose us? Why do cats want anything to do with us? When I try and call one over, they walk away. Well, that's because you're a no, horrible person. I'm not a horrible person. No, no, the they vibe. love me. They know you're so it. fluffy. I know no, you're a horrible I, person. I've never met you in person. Tales, the fluffy tails tell me otherwise. But tell me, They're why cool. why do cats like people? <laughs> well, well what was that quote like cuz uh, cats used to be worshipped as gods and they've not forgotten this yeah it's something along the lines of that but yeah no i mean it's just kind of once you start you just keep going and it becomes uh, more of a mutual dependence on each other really isn't it i'm not an evolutionary biologist by any means so well, well, i guess so just bring it all back i guess with the origin of the domestic cat because um the domestic cat, uh, Felis catus, is uh, the domesticated form of Felis sylvestris libica, which is the African wildcat. And, well, in the past, as much as in present day, uh, has a range that sort of spans across North Africa all the way to the nearer Middle East. Um, so supposedly, um, the African wildcat was domesticated sort of in the near and Middle East, contrary to sort of popular belief beforehand, which sort of attributed the domestication of the cat by the ancient Egyptians. Even though, of course, you know, big disclaimer in flashing bold lights. Uh, now, of course, whenever we talk about domestication, the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. So where you have multiple mm. domestication attempts that have taken place in different geographic locations over time. But so the canon... Yeah explanation behind the domestication of the cat is that with the advent of agriculture and so the advent therefore of grain storage mice starts getting in and become a problem so from there there's two different options that could go from there and possibly both at the same time or not at the same time either cats see that opportunity and move in to prey on sort of this endless resource of prey 
or cats get specifically systematically trapped by the humans, brought back to the settlement to get rid of their mice problem. Although there's also like another thing which wouldn't have been, you know, the main reason for domestication, but something that in my opinion should be considered as well is that um, the human propension towards anything that's cute and fluffy. Because <laughs> we, we do have things sort of in the archaeological record or like uh, with exotic animals. I think you have a burial of a of a young lynx cub in North America that was given almost a mm. human's burial, which like the would be like no particular reason to grab a lynx from the wild and bring it back to the settlement if not like it's cute and fluffy maybe it, the, the mother abandoned it or the mother died or whatever reason i'm gonna bring it back because mm. it's cute yeah no i mean like in that also reminds me of the fact that like in general sometimes when you find these kind of strange like um, animal bits and pieces and assemblages like I feel like sometimes we forget that people could have picked them up because like you said they're cute and fluffy or they just kind of look cool uh, like I worked on a site where uh, it was all this like cod like Atlantic cod fish and then randomly there was uh, a monkfish jaw and you know it, it felt so weird and out of place but honestly what i always thought was like someone probably caught it was like this looks really cool i'm gonna keep it well, <laughs> like, it's a very simple thing well, you people know? i don't think put much emphasis in that because especially when we talk about prehistory and that's a very very small tangent that i'll be making i feel that sometimes a lot of people forget that even in prehistory i mean we're the same people who thought and felt in very similar, in the same exact way, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's the archaeology of the mundane and the mediocre, you know, people always forget. And sometimes. also, like, even though, you know, it's not always accurate to make comparisons with the ethnographic record, you do have some cultures like to this day that will take wind animals and bring them back to their settlements and they'll keep them. Yeah. For no particular reason other than because it's cute, it's fluffy. I'm going to keep it and look after it. I mean, you also look at people, you know, and like you see your stories about in the United States of people who strip will just keep like a tiger in their house. So it's not like we've really stopped doing yeah. it. <laughs> I'm not too sure because I'm not sure how you'd get a tiger in the US and how legal that would be. <laughs> super easily that's what i've learned <laughs> okay because i know like some like people in the u.s that keep coyotes as pets because maybe it was animals that were injured oh, yeah. and then they just decided to keep them and they're just lovely and just you know i mean to be fair just repping my hometown in uh on long island uh someone got arrested when i was in high school because they were keeping exotic pets including uh, a crocodile in their house so you know just it happens no just no no happens yeah. yeah but we've literally not changed <laughs> as a species we're the same people just collecting things that are interesting including animals well because you get that and again like tangent over with this so you do get sometimes prehistoric flintles like hand axes found in say in roman context and you're like what's this paleolithic thing doing here and probably just someone found it be like oh that looks pretty cool i'm gonna keep it for a bit and then after a while nah, i changed my mind toss it in a ditch <laughs> yeah exactly you know you, you have no idea what like i mean that's ultimately the thing that i think in archaeology you end up kind of having to make peace with is the fact that at the end of the day we're not gonna we can't get into the mind of prehistoric peoples and we can't understand necessarily 
um, you know, why just, they were surrounding themselves with cats. Just, just you know? people are weird and unpredictable. And there's the whole factor of I've done it just because. Yeah. <laughs> so these are the possible theories about how sort of cat domestication came about. But then, of course, that still sets them aside from dogs and other domesticates because they weren't necessarily viewed as pets or companion animals because they were they were sometimes purposely kept around the settlement as ratters and sometimes just cats just moved in there Mm -hmm. which is why sort of like they they have not that you don't see sort of a variation of cat breeds and well color coats and all that we really won't be able to see in the archaeological record but you don't really see a cat fancy or a, a conscious effort to breed cats to get specific traits you don't really see that until the end mm. of the 1800s when well the cat fancy emerged and people started breeding cats but again based on how they look because even like to this day because dogs to an extent still will have functions you do have lines of working animals cats just come in all this weird and wonderful variety of coats and colors but it tends to just be mostly related to looks rather than anything else we just like the fluffy cats, like um, Bone Bone, who's my favorite cat on the internet. And I think everyone should go look at Bone Bone the cat. Uh, after we record, Simona, I will send you multiple pictures of Bone Bone the cat. Excellent. <laughs> it's a big, big, fat, fluffy cat. I love him. Um, oh, yeah, and of course, you know, the, the, another difference sort of with cats compared to other domesticates is that Despite, uh, you know, we know they've been revered in some cultures and, you know, have this sort of almost this mystical and supernatural powers attributed to them, cats have certainly been getting the stick for centuries and centuries. (laughs) I don't feel like that historically uh, cats uh, have had a very, very good time in a lot of pastime periods. Really, because I mean, um, we'll get to that because even sort of, you know, ancient Egypt where let people think, oh, cats were viewed as gods and revered. Yes. And and, and, and no. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I feel like it did vary. Like if you took a if you made a timeline and you kind of just like plotted, you know, where the perception of cats was uh, at any given time, at least in the majority, it definitely goes up and down. A bit, <laughs> but most, but mostly down. Oh, well, yeah, I guess. I mean, you know, I guess we feel like we have to get a little bit more into uh, about the Egyptian cat thing. Can can do. Yeah, I feel like I feel like we it, we kind of just have to. But I mean, that's I think that's what most people kind of think of when they think of cats in history is like we were saying, you know, the, the Egyptians worship the cats and things like that when, you know, I mean. Which they, they did, but also uh, with, with some hints of capitalism. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Sense. Well, I mean, isn't that the, the, the history of everything with some hints of capitalism? Uh, uh, cats, because I believe so. The first depiction of cats in ancient Egypt so date back to about 3500 BCE. So you see them a lot in temple art and they're usually depicted, you know, in baskets or under someone else's chair or table, which, you know, they could very well be tamed wildcats, but because of the context, you know, you do tend to presume that they're domestic individuals. 
that's again another mm. thing to add to distinguishing between wild and domestic. Sometimes really all you've got to go by is context. And, you know, as as we all know, sorry, you know, time goes by and actually the a cat's prominence sort of in mythology and religion increases. So you do have, you know, about 4,800 BC, you have the worship of Bastet starts coming into play. Yeah. Because you know, it doesn't get real big until sort of the Ptolemaic period, I believe. So like more towards Roman times. Yeah, like like a Hellenic, isn't it? Like the Hellenic period, more or less, from what I remember. So like, because she did have an annual feast day, I think back in yeah. what Herodotus essentially described as a gigantic piss-up. Is that is that is that textually like that's exactly like quoted what he said? No, but that's what it boils down to pretty much. It's just I, I think there was something something about a lot of drinking and a lot of intercourse. Well, I mean, yeah, duh. I mean, but B- Bastet approves because I, I said like I do have the the very reincarnation of the goddess just sleeping on a couch right now, and we're so lucky. Yeah, and so blessed, really. Kind of moving away from Egyptian cats, though, like the other thing I think of when I think of cats in the past is, uh, was it, isn't it Freya who's in Norse mythology who's uh, driven around by cats or something? Yeah, it's like in the, the chariot that's um, brought forward by cats. Yes. Yeah, that's the only other thing I think of. And then it kind of just, you know, goes away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think, like, what. what do cats really play a prominent role in any other cultural context in the past? They probably have done, but none that immediately spring to mind. Because usually you think cats, you think ancient Egypt. Yeah, exactly. So the I mean, we obviously they were there. But again, it's the idea of like, you know, it's just perception, isn't it? You could easily think cats are just pests and have zero artwork around of them and things like that. And then after a while, they become, you know, pets instead. Things like that. Yeah, because I think they started becoming proper pets sort of in the post-medieval period where some of the nobility took to keeping them as pets. So it was almost like a status thing. Yeah, and also that just reminded me, um, we find uh, evidence of cats being skinned on our gladiol sites don't we yeah i find like mostly medieval sites so like they, they, they there were good yeah. chances that they were used for their fur because you, you you tend to have like it, it doesn't necessarily it's not necessarily always the case but it tends to be that a lot of the um, cat bones that are found so you say in medieval context that bear butchering and skinning marks tend to be sub-adult so, so again yeah. sort of that prime age where they're sort of pretty much fully grown where like keeping them alive any longer won't necessarily give you more of an economic return, so they'll just kill them off there and then. I feel really sad that I brought this up now. <laughs> Which links us back, because the, the one thing that um, we forgot to mention about ancient Egyptian cats, it's just uh, the, also the, the years so or the age of death, uh, death it was one of the main sort of reason for debunking the whole, you know, Egyptians were really lovely to cats and they really love their cats. And again, it's like, yes and no, because um, supposedly it was a crime to kill a cat in ancient Egypt, unless you were a priest, in which case it was fine. Because, of course, um, uh, cat mummies were sold essentially as, well, souvenirs. 
pretty much is what it boils down to. So like they'd have catcheries within temples and they would get sort of routinely killed and mummified to be sold off to tourists and pilgrims. Because the one thing that we found, you know, because we got so many cat mummies and they've been CT scanned. And the first thing was, hang on a minute, they're all about a year old. How did they all die so young? That's a bit weird. And then, like, look more into <laughs> it. Oh, they all seem to have their neck snapped. Oh, all righty then. Yeah, so it's like, what a strange coincidence. Yeah, so it's like, no, ancient Egypt killing cats. No, 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 unless you're a priest. If you're a priest, that's yeah. fine. Although, again, there's a, I guess it's a bit of different perception of death and all that other jazz. We can get really uh, abstract into it, but we won't <laughs> for the sake of the listeners. Yeah. <laughs> but so yeah, that, that, that's the, the, a bit of a, an unfortunate truth about Egyptian cats. But moving on happier cats, maybe. <laughs> um, well, actually, no, it, it's just as, as much of a sad cat story really but i feel one that we should really be talking about is the cyprus cat burial oh yeah of course because of course that that's another interesting one when it comes to like cat domestication and introduction because i think that's really mm. interesting about cyprus is that the island was actually never joined to the mainland and had no native cat population whatsoever so mm. all the cat remains that have been found archaeologically, must have been from cats that were purposely brought to the island. Yeah. So now there's one that's particularly interesting because it, 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 uh, it dates back to 7,500 BCE mm -hmm. and it's found in association with a human burial. So it's this cat that had been buried with a person. Again, slight sad note about the cat. The cat also seemed to be uh, less than a year old. So chances are it was killed and then put in the grave with the person. But you think so? The implications of that seem to be that perhaps it showed some sort of companionship. So to bury the cat with possibly the owner, mm. someone who cherished that animal while they were alive. Although, frankly, I know if I suddenly like died, please don't kill my cat and put it in my grave. Like, just please don't do it. I love my cat. Don't don't do that. <laughs> <Just don't. laughs> So that's a slightly happier story-ish in comparison to what we were talking about. It's very hard to find happy stories when it comes to talking about dead animals, I feel like. I feel we should take a break instead. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> hey everybody, Chris Webster here, co-founder of the Archaeology Podcast Network. And I just wanted to let you know about all the other great shows we have on the APN. We have the CRM Archaeology Podcast, the Anarchaeologist Podcast, the Archaeology Show, Heritage Voices, Prehistories, the Archaeotech Podcast, You Call This Archaeology, Profiles in CRM, and a random conference channel. So check all that out at archpodnet.com. Now back to the show. So I've got a few questions about cats, and I'm hoping that you can kind of guide me through these wonderful questions. Obviously, we've talked about, well, you guys have talked about how domestication is different, uh, where, you know, while cats are usually typically larger, domestic cats are typically smaller, which is something we kind of see in other domesticates. I remember you guys talking in the cow episode um, that typically domesticate animals are smaller. That's true, isn't it? 
Yeah, they usually they tend to get smaller until they get bigger again. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I mean, like, I mean, I've seen the pictures of Maine Coons and like rag dolls, and it's amazing. It's so fluffy, so mm. big, but. I'm kind of scared of them as well. But I just, I find really interesting about cats is that where other animals, like we you've talked before, like dogs, cows, there was a direct kind of like use for them. You know, there's a very direct kind of thing that you could do. You know, dogs, you can kind of almost train to do stuff. Whereas cats are very different to that. And, and I think you know, you guys were saying there's not really, you know, when people think of cats, it's ancient Egypt. I mean, there's plenty of like idioms and ideas that we have about cats. Like, you know, don't let a black cat cross your path. Um, I mean, there there are some things from the medieval times, more horrible things. I think I think cats have a very special place with humans. And I'm just wondering if you guys could shed a little light about like, how how do we relate two cats nowadays that might be a bit more different to how we kind of behaved to them in the past. I mean, nobody's mummifying cats, but maybe, you know, is there something we can learn about how we treat cats nowadays as opposed to the past? Or is there anything to be learned there? I still feel like there's a lot of um, uh, sort of undeserved bad rep when it comes to cats. Yeah, like what? Because uh, I think they're still, well, they're, they're liked, I guess, now more than ever, but they're still sort of regarded as selfish beings. That, yeah, uh, I, I get that. You know, when that, that's, it's just, it's all like, because again, one of the issues that we have, but that's not just with cats, so that's with a lot of animals, we tend to personify them. So by giving them human attributes, mm-hmm. it's sort of like, it, it defeats the entire purpose. It's just a cat being a cat. It's not being mean, it's not being cruel. That means nothing to a cat. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it's, I feel like in a lot of ways, we're personifying cats even more these days. I mean, think of the fact that we now have pet celebrities. Like I was talking about how much I love Bone Bone the Cat, who literally has his own Facebook page and Instagram page and YouTube channel. Um, it's, It's funny, like we really are kind of going back the pendulum swinging again where we do have these ideas of cats is like oh you know they're grumpy they don't like being around people things like that but we still kind of uplift a lot of these cats into almost i would say like egyptian like deity type stuff just because i think a lot of it's like it's lack of understanding because say like you know cats are being grumpy and they i don't know they're mean with a dogs and other cats and they get stressed you easily but the truth is that the cat evolved as a solitary animal yeah you only really see groups of cats in feral colonies so in cats that were domesticated but that have now been sort of in the wild or stray for a number of generations so you see small colonies appear where they sort of collaborate over certain things but of course, you, you, you've taken an animal that has evolved to be solitary, as most felids are, yeah, with very few exceptions, and you're throwing them, you know, in a multi-cat household or with other dogs. And chances are, you know, some cats are absolutely fine and they, they form long-lasting bond, you know, with the other cats in the household or the dog. But sometimes that doesn't go well. But that, 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 that's, it's just, it doesn't always work. I feel like I've yeah. gone completely off point. 
I mean, I think it still ties into the fact that in terms of understanding cats, there's still like, at least uh, in the majority, um, we're still doing something that people in the past have always been doing, which is kind of seeing cats and other animals through this very human perspective, which means applying very human things to animals. It's actually something I'm really interested in, in terms of zooarchaeology in general, the way we kind of look at animals and, you know, we look at them from the perspective of a human. So everything that we look at uh, faunal bones, we're always saying, okay, but how do humans play into this? We're very selfish. Oh, oh, we are. Um, (laughs) But I guess the one thing that probably is not as prominent, though it is still prominent to an extent, is sort of the perception of cats as sort of like this almost, well, not not mystical creature, that's not the right term, but um, sort of giving this almost mystical powers attributing them to cats as how they'll be able they're able to sense supernatural activity yeah like maybe um, more like um like like metaphysical conduits if that makes more sense uh, which sort of like goes back because so, what uh tristan was mentioning you know no one is mummifying cats these days but they were actually, they were until surprisingly recently. Because <laughs> one thing that we've not mentioned is the beauty that is, that are dried cats. Oh, I love dried cats. That are found <laughs> mu- pretty much almost exclusively in English speaking countries. And mm-hmm. most of all in the British Isles, absolutely littered with them. Um, Good job. We all did it. <laughs> it's sort of in post medieval buildings, you do find mummified cats in the walls of buildings. And now we know that a lot of them, it's not cats that have crawled in there and died. No. Because <laughs> a lot of them have been posed in hunting poses before rigor mortis set in. Some of them mm-hmm. were posed with equally mummified mice and rats. And they tended to be usually, you know, above the earth or above thresholds. Yeah. Like, I, I'm, I actually really love this kind of stuff. I think it's really interesting. And also um, just reminded me that we're kind of going back to that because something I'm kind of obsessed with is there's this, I don't know if you've seen it, Simona, but there's this like growing trend um, of people, of taxidermists working with uh, pet owners uh, so that when their pet dies, they uh, will get them taxidermied. So like a lot of times it's cats getting taxidermied um, after death. So in a lot of ways, it's very similar to the dried cat uh, thing. Yeah, like it is, and it is because with the dried cats, we're not. I mean, it's likely they were deliberately killed yeah. to put in the walls. True. Because and now, and this is the weird thing. So, because it's it's um the post medieval period. So you think you'd have plenty of uh, written records about the subject, but no one is actually a hundred percent sure of why they were put. They were walled in these buildings because like you have different options. They're like that um, perhaps because. Cats were believed to have sort of have an insight into the supernatural world is that they were sort of an almost ghost mice carer would be hunting mice in the spiritual plane. There's a, a theory that they would be they were put there to keep witches away. Mm-hmm. That's the one I know mostly. Or, or just keep evil away in general. Although I'm not sure why they'll keep witches away because they, they've uh, cats have been historically associated as witches familiar. So if anything, if I was a cat, I'd be inviting all the witches to the party. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe it's kind of like the idea of taking your enemy's uh, like decapitated head and putting it out in front. 
to ward off the rest of them. So, but yeah, it's a thing that it, it is really popular in the British Isles because I think so many have been found. And from what I've read, unfortunately, a lot of them ended up in skips. Yeah, which I mean, <laughs> I would love a dried cat. Not like one made now, but if anyone has a dried cat from like, you know. Okay, so send Alex a dried cat. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure my partner will love it if we start getting dried cats to the, in the mail. <laughs> but we do, we do still have, you know, loads and they tend to, but museums, that they'll have so many. A lot of them are in storage because we just have so many of them. Stop drying your cats, please. Although, like, if you do want to take a look at a load of dried cats, um, the Museum of Witchcraft in Boscastle in Cornwall has a load of them on display. Oh, I need to go there. <laughs> I need to go there so bad. It, it, it's a, it's yeah. Again, very small tangent. It's a great museum. Yeah, do go there. They got lots of very interesting stuff. Yeah, dried cats. <laughs> Sorry, I just I'm just still thinking about people sending me dried cats in the post and how that would go, <laughs> how that would go down. <laughs> I guess I could be really protected from witches if people keep sending me dried cats. I'll just like let, put them out in front of like my house. Well, you, know, you have found, because a few, I think, pubs that have had renovation works, they have found dried cats. I mean, there's a fair few that they've actually they put them on display. I mean, yeah, fair Which enough. is great. Yeah, if you've got a dried cat, you might as well put it to use. Some were found with dogs, and I've got no idea what's up with that. That's actually really cool. <laughs> there's, been, there's been a few finds of, like, dried cats associated with sort of lurcher-type dogs. Ooh, that's actually really cool. I didn't hear about that. But uh, I guess uh, if anyone's interested, I mean, I'm going to put a load of links uh, and book titles in the show notes. But if um, anyone is interested in learning more about this side of things and sort of and the almost the archaeology of counter witchcraft and and sort of like a, an author to really look out for is Brian Hoggard. And now like it, he's written for a load of publications and that if you can't access them for a reason or another, he does have his own website called Apotropaeus. And there's a, a, a wealth of information on dried cats and other weird and wonderful things that you might want to be looking into. Well, I think dried cats is a great place to end this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I guess, all, all, yeah, all of our topics have dried up. Oh, God. Okay. End, end the podcast now. We'll see you next time on Archaeo Animals or, or not. What are we doing next time, do you think? What else you got? Uh, this year more ritual episodes rituals which will probably be 30 episodes ritual yeah oh ritual jeez that's because that's, that's well, what i'm personally it's what me and simona really mm. like and also i'm literally working on that with my phd so right 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 what about you simona what do you think what, what are we going to talk about the rest of this year what can people expect for archaeo animals bones but, oh my god yes, well. if anyone wants to like host this podcast instead of simona please tweet at us Ooh, right before it gets too dangerous thank you very much for listening it's bye from me bye from me bye <laughs> listening to Archeo Animals. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. You can find us on Twitter at Archeo Animals. Also, the views expressed on the podcast are those of ourselves, the hosts and guests, and do not necessarily represent those of our institution, employers, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. 
Thanks for listening. This show is produced and recorded by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. I want to apologize to everybody listening to this uh, for all the egregious uses of puns throughout this entire show. If you want to hear more of these puns, head over to the Archaeology Podcast Network, where Archaeonimals has all the previous episodes, including puns as well. And I want to finally buy out with saying hello and come over here and I will pet you to all the cats in the world. Because you know what? I really like cats. I like little fluffy ones. I like tall, skinny ones. I like all kinds of cats. Cats are important. Cats are special. And uh, yeah. I'm canceling this podcast. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US dollars a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info.